Good morning. <clears throat> Hope y'all have had a good week. Um, we're going to get started in just a second. A couple of things I want to let you know about. Um, Gil, you're the, oh, no, you're, you guys got one. There's a new book that I just handed out. Um, this is, we're going to touch on this today because this is part of temptation. So this book is specific to addictions. Um, and the conversations that I had leading up to starting Sunday school, four different people had come up to me and asked me to talk about addictions. Unfortunately, this was out of print until a week ago. And it brought it back in print a week ago, and I was able to get it so that we had it for today, which is perfect because we're talking about temptation. So you're probably you're not going to have time to read this right now, but I would encourage you to read through it. You're going to discover that about 80% of this is this. Um, however, the last chapter, uh, which we're going to read a little bit of today, um, on developing a plan. <clears throat> yes, this is a booklet on addiction, but we'll talk more about that. The developing a plan is going to be something that's beneficial for every one of us. Um, so I'm going to really touch on that at the end. Um, also, um, next week we do, we do conflict peacemaking. Um, there's a flyer inside of your conflict book, so make sure you read through both before next week. Um, then the two weeks after that will be on parenting and children. Um, I picked up two of these books, and they're going to be on the book table this, uh, after Sunday school. This is called Building Bridges, Biblical Counseling Activities for Children and Teens. So if you're looking for activities to provide opportunities for gospel conversations and dealing with life conversations with your children or your teens, this is a definitely a want something you're going to want to grab. I'm going to be referencing this um, during those two weeks, parents and children. So that's something that we have for you if you're interested. Um, let's pray because Steinberg doesn't have all the answers, so we need to go to the one who does. So um, let's pray. Father, um, we humbly come before you because we know that left to ourselves, we can't do anything. Um, but you have promised in your word <clears throat> comfort. You have promised wisdom, um, your wisdom. Father, give us your wisdom. Help us to understand what you want us to know about temptation and addictions today. Father, give us willing hearts to not only hear what you're saying, but to obey what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, you knew it's coming. Who did their homework? Um, what important facts stood out to you from your reading? You don't behave your way into sin. You worship your way into sin. You don't behave your way into sin. You worship your way into sin. We're going to spend some time there today. Yeah. We're going to talk about that today, too. Yeah, that's good. Other important things that you picked up from this packet, this, this booklet? In that same vein, that sin is a misdirection of worship. So you're worshiping something, but yeah. usually it's in place of true God, in place of Christ. Yeah. So recognizing that, praying, and asking God to show you those things that you might be worshiping, 
good. Did it did it provoke any questions? So let me ask you some questions. What circumstances do people say cause their temptations? Be specific. What kind of things would would people say? Well, that made that tempted me. Somebody got in traffic. Okay. Somebody yeah. Had an angry outburst. Okay. Negative behavior from somebody else. Okay. What else? Generally, when people get stressful, but again, I'm not condoning that or probably saying that's good, but. Okay, stress. Any type of stress. Okay. Other circumstances that cause that people think cause them to 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 deal with temptation. What? Tired. Yeah. Busyness. Yeah. Living with your family. What'd you say? The perception that you're lacking something. Perception that you're lacking something. If I had this, I wouldn't be tempted to do this. Yeah. Oh, the, I deserve this. How about I can't help it? It's who I am. When you're dealing with addictions, one of the things that our society likes to talk about with addictions is that addictions are a disease. And if it's a disease, you don't have any control over that. You don't have any control over a disease. So, what are some of the reasons or excuses people use to explain away their giving in to temptations? Devil made me do it. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else? Oh, yeah. We had that conversation with a family member this week. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the addictions model, right? Um, The disease made me do it. So, since we believe that God's word is sufficient for all of life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3. Let's see what God has to say about this. So if you would turn to James chapter 1, verses 13 and 16. And you're noticing a lot of the Sunday school lessons are starting in James. There's a reason for that. It's because a lot of the things that we deal with, with these different topics, are dealt with in the first chapter of James. So James 1, 13 to 16 says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully matured, it brings forth 
death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So, according to James, we've already talked about what the world or what society thinks is the cause of our temptations. According to James, what's the cause of temptations? Our own hearts. Our own hearts. What about our hearts? Our desires. Just desires? I want to have an apple. It's a desire. I want to make my wife happy. It's a desire. Is that the desire that leads to temptation? It can. Lustful desires. Enticed by their own lust. Entice meaning to lure by desire. So, does that mean that the person who cut you off in the freeway, um, or the fact that alcohol or drugs or food or working out or playing video games or fill in whatever fits for you, does that mean that those things don't matter? question we have to answer right because all too often it's been well I just need to give it to God and it'll all go away and if you've tried that you've discovered it doesn't work right so there's got to be something more than just I just need to give it to God so let's talk let's talk about what the something more would be if you go to um, you don't have to go there um, Ah, don't jump ahead, Steinberger. Look at verse 13. This is important, and I don't want to miss this. First, first phrase in the sentence says what? What's it say? Let no man say. When he is tempted. So what's the point? You will be tempted. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So, you're going to be tempted, and it, 13 goes on to say, well, don't blame God for your temptation. Okay? Um, but, the fact that there will be temptation means that we have to prepare for that. You can't go willy-nilly through life expecting that because this temptation is just going to happen, I just need to deal with it when it happens. No. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3 commands us to put off the old man and put on the new man. Well, what's that going to look like? Now, this next section I took from, uh, I, watched a, um, I, I watched a video last night, and it, he used every one of the verses that I was going to talk about today, but I love the way he put it together. So I'm, I'm using, his name's Keith Palmer, I'm using what he talked about. He uses a football analogy. Offense, defense, special teams. Okay, offense means you want to score, right? You want to get to the goal, right? So we're going to talk about the offense of dealing with temptation. We're going to talk about the defense to keep the enemy from scoring to deal with that temptation. And special teams, when you're in trouble, what you need to do. Okay, so three things, offense, defense, special teams. So I need you to turn to, um, no. Yes, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15. 
And you're going to discover that we're going to spend a lot more time in Hebrews, John. We may not be in Sunday school because we keep coming back to Hebrews. So here's your offense. Verse chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are without sin. There's nothing there except a statement, right? Christ is our high priest. Christ has been tempted in every way that we have been, but he didn't sin. Therefore, you know, I love that word. It's therefore a reason, right? The first verse now tells us, therefore, here's, here's your offense. Let us draw near to who? Our great high priest. Yes, I heard somebody say it. Draw near to the great high priest with confidence. That's what it says. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that you can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, Turn over a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying laying aside every weight and every sin which so easily entangles us, and that's part of the defense part we're going to talk about in a minute, let us run the race that is set before us with endurance. Here it is. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So when we're talking about offense, you have you have one thing you should have one thing in mind when you're talking about offense. You know what's going to entangle you. You you know what's going to entangle you, therefore you set it aside and you fix your eyes on Jesus. This is your offense. Then the last passage for offense, I'm going to turn to Psalm 90 uh, Psalm 119. We're going to read the entire chapter. Just kidding, it's 165 verses. Um, Verse 9. Now, a lot of this very easily moves toward um, sexual sin, pornography, for a couple of reasons. Number one, God knew that that's going to be man's easiest failure. Um, but this, the, 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 the principles from this can be applied to any temptation. Okay? Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can an old man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Now, we love to skip verse 10 and go to verse 11, right? Verse 11 is that Awana Sunday school verse that everybody memorizes, Right? Uh, um, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it's a great verse and it's true. However, we skip verse 10 and you should never skip verse 10. Look at verse 10. With all my heart, I sought you. Hear it again. With all my heart, I sought you. Don't let me stray from your commands. Now, verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart. 
You can't treasure God's word in your heart unless your entire heart seeks him. You want offense? You start here. Anytime that temptation, before that temptation comes, this is where you need to be. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Making sure that you are seeking him constantly. Your personal study of the word. Your time in prayer. Dare I say it? Your time at church. Your time in home group. These are important pieces of your offense against temptation. As you read through this book, you noticed one of the things they talked about was not dealing with temptation alone. You can't forego the time at at church. You can't forego the the small group time in, in home groups because you need that accountability. I need that accountability. This is all part of your offense. Let's talk about defense. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And 14. And with uh, Jeremiah and Caleb's comments at the beginning, we're, we're coming right to it, boys. Coming right to it. And the physical life. And the physical life, yeah. All of us have, every part of us has to be there. Yeah, exactly. And and are we seeking to overcome sin because it's annoying and embarrassing and shameful, or are we seeking God for God? Yeah. But it comes back to seeking Him with all your heart, right? If you're seeking Him with all your heart, your heart is going to be seeking what he desires. And if you deal with temptation at all, you realize those temptations come when you haven't been spending your time here like you should. Uh, in the, the Gospel Primer, it talks about, I am, I am completely satisfied when I am completely satisfied in him. And if you're completely satisfied in him, there's no need for those desires to pull you. But we do need defense because there are days that, that we drop our guard, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. It doesn't mean, oh, well, this happens to everybody. It's not what this means. It means that everybody deals with the same temptations. They may look differently, but it's always pulling at those desires, But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you'll be able to endure it. I'll go to 14 in a second. Two things here. God is faithful. He won't give you a temptation that's more than He's willing to help you with. Are you hearing that? I'm not saying He's not going to give you a temptation that's too much for you. Because every temptation is too much for you. But he's not going to give you a temptation that's too much for him. 
But this is the other piece. He provides the way of escape. And guess where the way of escape is? Through it. Now, sometimes God says, okay, I know you can't handle this, so I'm going to take it away. But more often than not, it's, dude, you got to go through. And his way of escape is going to find you a path through it. It says, so that you will be able to endure it. If you're not having to go through it, you're not having to endure it. This is the key, and it goes back to what you guys said at the beginning, and it's what they talked about in the book. Therefore, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So, what's temptation? It's worship, right? You're desiring to worship something other than God himself. It says so right there. We were, we were uh, at a heaven conference this weekend. Um, great conference. Um, one of the things he said in the, com- in the conference was that when, when you're in heaven, you'll be able to look back over your life and you'll be able to see everything that you did during that lifetime. Scary thought, isn't it? If you know your sin, scary thought, isn't it? And he made this comment. If you don't want to remember this for all of eternity, don't do it. Kind of, it's a scary thought from that perspective, right? But it should also be a driving thought. Do I really want to remember this sin for all of eternity? Do I really want to remember that Christ had to pay the sacrifice for this sin for all of eternity? Do you see? Flee from idolatry. And that's and that in this book and in, in, in the new one that I just gave you, the first step to dealing with temptations and addictions is to run away. What did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife decided she wanted? You know, she's very subtle. Come lie with me. Really subtle, right? So what did he do? Left his coat and booked it. Why don't we resolve, resolve to do the same thing when our temptations show up? Oh, no, I'll just sit here with it in front of me and I'll pray and it will go away. Run away. First Corinthians tells us to flee idolatry. Flee your temptations. It's not the only place in Scripture that tells us to flee. Flee youthful lusts. So, we're not dealing with temptation as we like, you know, those pet sins or the addictions, which we're going to talk a little more about in a minute, um, you're dealing with your worship. You're dealing with your worship. So what happens when you mess up? What happens when your offense is off and your defense is off and special teams has to come in? Turn to Psalm 51. Did you know that we serve a great God? Who is ready and willing to forgive you. I'm going to read the first 10 verses and then verse 17. Uh, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the abundance of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and pure when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, your delight in truth, you delight in truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Here's what you need to do. Number one, verse three, acknowledge you sinned. Okay, so dealing with temptation, the plan to deal with temptation is your offense and your defense. If that fails, it's time to repent. So acknowledge your sin. David, remember, this is the, the psalm that David wrote after he got nailed to the wall by Nathan because of, his, because of his adultery of Bathsheba and his murdering of her husband. This wasn't having an extra cookie last night. Or 24 cookies. Um, 26. 26 cookies. Okay? This is serious business. And the first thing he says is, I, I agree with you, God. I blew it. I did wrong. I sinned. I, what is it? Uh, verse 4, against you, you only I have sinned. Well, no, we know he didn't sin against God only. He sinned against Uriah, and he sinned against Bathsheba, and he sinned against people of Israel through all of this. But the point is, the only one at, at the beginning that really matters is the fact that he sinned against God. But the point is, he recognizes, he acknowledges, yes, I did this. No excuses, but, what about this? But if they hadn't done this, no, I did it. And I deserve whatever you give me. That's what he says, right? You are justified when you speak, and you are pure when you judge. I deserve every bit of it. Acknowledge your sin. Two, confess your sin. Verse 4, against you, you only I have sinned and did what was evil in your sight. Then it requires godly remorse. And sometimes for humans, it's hard to know if what they're, the, the person that's, that's, that's uh, repenting, if it's truly godly or not. It's, it's difficult, but you can usually tell by one thing. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. If there's humility, they're willing to accept whatever consequences that come. There's a good chance that their repentance is real. And then request forgiveness. That's what this, that's what this entire book, chapter, Psalm 51 is about, is asking for forgiveness. And then, but this is important, there's a commitment. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's do your work in me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Steadfast spirit. That, if somebody has a steadfast spirit, they have their mindset that they're going to do the right thing next time. 
as we said at the beginning of these Sunday school sessions, uh, you can't do this in your own power. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit in you that this can even happen. But if there isn't true repentance, no amount of dealing with temptation is going to be successful. If there isn't true repentance, no amount of dealing with addiction is going to be successful. So let's talk about addiction for a minute. Now, I'm going to set you up with a question here. What's the biblical difference between temptation and addiction? But yielding to temptation and yielding to addiction, is there a difference biblically? No. You're still giving in to your sin. Now, does that mean that we don't take into account other things? But you have to remember the Jeremiah, right? Um, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's every part of us, right? Which means that when one part is off, the others are going to be off. So if you, and it's one of the things that uh, seems like everywhere I was reading this week, this morning with the, the, the devotional that we were reading this morning, um, Alistair Begg was talking about the exact same thing. He, he talks about the fact that people are like, well, you know, with, I'm getting ahead of myself. Be careful to ascribe a medical or a psychological label to something that the Bible speaks clearly about. This has been a big danger in, in psychology. Assigning a label to something that the Bible is clear about. Addiction, addictions dealing with alcoholism, drug use. Anything that changes your state of mind is a, is a sin. It's what the Bible teaches as drunkenness. You can also go into 1 Corinthians 6 where it talks about um, having a clear, clear way of thinking. Um, food and drink. If, if pizza is your gluttony point or Oreo cookies are your gluttony point. Um, it's gluttony. It's not an addiction to Oreo cookies, right? If John's eating 26 Oreo cookies every day for a week, we got a problem. And we're going to have to have... <laughs> Se- sexual behavior. Give me a year. Give you a year? Okay. Sexual behavior, adultery, pornography, treated as a disease in our society. You want the biblical term? Fornication and adultery. Okay? Uh, Video games, leisure activities, laziness and idleness, gambling, bad stewardship. Okay. Be careful to label something a disease when there's a biblical definition for it. That's the biggest struggle in the, in the American church today is we've accepted the, the labels from outside when we should be looking at the labels that God gives it. Does that mean there aren't medical issues that are deal, dealt with in dealing with some of these issues? No, there are absolutely those medical issues. You'll ask any biblical counselor that's worth their weight in salt, and their first suggestion when they're dealing with somebody that's struggling with something that there's not a definitive answer about is you need to go to your doctor and get tested for whatever things are going on to make sure that there's not a physical reason that this is happening. And while you're doing that, we're going to deal with this. 
Okay, so don't mishear me and say that there is never a medical cause to things. But we're talking about temptation, people. We're not talking about anxiety. We're not talking about depression, which we know through history is part has been part of the church. May not have been dealt with appropriately, but it's been part of the church. If you go to the missions banquet in November, you're going to hear about it. But temptation is you putting something else on the throne and addiction is temptation on steroids. Okay, so let's see what scripture has to say about dealing with temptation. And I need to move quickly here. Um, Let's start with Matthew 7. I don't want you to try to keep up with me. I'm going to be moving pretty quick over the next few, but I want you to hear um, what God's expectation of you is when you're dealing with anything, anything that is an addiction for you. I've had a conversation with a couple of people about addictions in the last couple of weeks. And the, the one thing that keeps coming up, and I agree entirely, is they keep saying to me, well, everybody's got addictions. Yeah, we do. Some of us have what we would say are not a big deal addictions, Hey, I'm addiction to my food. I'm addiction to, I can't live without my coffee in the morning. It's an addiction. Can't live without my Diet Coke. It's an addiction. You're grumpy unless you get this. It's an addiction. Okay? We're not just talking about the big stuff. We're talking about all of it. So at some point, this intersects you in your life. Okay? So Matthew chapter 7. Verses 3 to 5. And why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Now, can you say to your brother, take the speck out, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log's in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. First thing is, is quit looking around the room. Deal with yourself first. Now, please hear, don't hear, don't misunderstand this either. It doesn't say deal with yourself and ignore the other person. It's not what it says. It says hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of their eye. But the point is that the one that's in your eye is a whole lot bigger and you need to deal with that first. That's Matthew. Now I'm going to roll through here and I want you to hear what I'm hearing. First Peter 2.11 Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against your soul. Galatians 5.24 Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Matthew 5.29 and 30 But if your right eye makes you stumble... Tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Romans 8, 13. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But by the Spirit, you're putting to death, putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Are you getting it? You're at war, people. 
You're at war against your own temptations. Now, I want you to open this to page 21. And I'm going to close with this. Here, use this one because I've got highlights. All right, I'm, not, I'm going to try to read quickly in this. We're going to start at the bottom of 21. If addictions at their root are all about who or what we're going to worship, then Jesus Christ has got to become much more attractive to you than any other fake God, such as drugs, sex, or food. The reality, of course, is that Jesus is more attractive. He is a matter of seeing everything more. This is a matter of seeing everything more clearly. How does this happen? With the willingness to be suspicious of your old assumptions. With the help of others. With asking God to show us more of himself. With searching the scriptures and not stopping until we have found Jesus Christ to be more beautiful than we once thought. One word of caution. If you're expecting an immediate mountaintop experience, be careful. God certainly does give these, but his plan is that we, they come as we persist in seeking him. His plan values our faithful efforts, so don't give up. It's worth the effort. As Augustine said, you have, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless unless it finds it, until it finds its rest in you. Remember, the battle is good. A 38-year-old husband and father was ready to quit. He felt he had been battling his desire for alcohol his entire adult life, and he was tired. Where is the power of God, he thought. What about this victorious life that Christians talk about? He didn't understand that the battle is good. When it feels like a battle, there's a sign that something is right. The violent take it by force is how the King James puts it in Matthew 11, 12. That is the way God works. Every disciple of Christ is in a battle, one that demands spiritual strength and ongoing vigilance. This is where the language of disease is weak. It doesn't lend itself to violence. Vigilance, maybe, but not violence. And when you're doing battle with sin, it requires preparation and a desire to absolutely eradicate it. This is not peacetime. The goal is to develop a battle-like, aggressive, rigorous, take-no-prisoners style of life. Like all battles, this will take time. In fact, get ready for the fight for the rest of your life. That's the way it is for every believer. But don't let the length of the battle scare you. All you have to do is fight the battle today. God will give you all the strength you need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... You speak so forcefully and and, and violently against our temptations, Lord, and we've taken that so lightly. We don't take it seriously. Father, make it serious to us. Help us to see that our temptation is a false God wanting to take your place in our lives. Father, help give us the strength to fight, the vigilance to, to last another day. And each morning, help us to wake up and remember to ask you for the power to get through that day. In Jesus' name, amen.